0: Welcome to this episode of Attorneys Are Human 2, episode 23, Law and Order, featuring Palm Beach County Sheriff Rick Bradshaw. I'm your host, Steve Wallace. We're joined by our co-host, Selena Music. Let's get right to it. We have a true pleasure today. We have Sheriff Rick Bradshaw, who is the Sheriff of Palm Beach County. Hi, Sheriff. Hi, how are you? Could you just tell us what made you decide to go into law enforcement? first of all I
1: love that lawyers are humans too. I mean, <laughs> let's get the, let's get the word out. Law enforcement officers are humans too. Exactly. <laughs> we all got families, we all got bills to pay. And we're just like you, we got a different job. You know, I was a high school and a college basketball player. And I got it was the height of the Vietnamese war and the draft was still in effect. I was going to get drafted, so I decided to join the Marine Corps. And I came out of the Marines uh, in 1971, and I was so like ingrained into the, the uniform and the regimentation and the, the paramilitary thing. It was a natural fit for me for law enforcement, because it's kind of paramilitary. It was more paramilitary back in the, in the 70s. I really didn't know which way to go in life, so I thought, well, I'll give that a try, and 50 years later... I'm still giving it a try. <laughs> You're doing a great job,
0: and and I did pick up that you were a former high school and college basketball player. And yeah. I played in high school, and I coach uh, AAU ball now. So we're gonna we're gonna save a couple basketball questions to the yeah. end.
1: Okay. I realized that I was not going to be in the NBA when I went from being a power forward at 6'3 <laughs> to be six three, and these guys were monsters. And I go, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> But anyhow, it, the best thing that ever happened to me was going into the Marine Corps. It made something out of me. It, it made me realize that there's some, you, you need to dedicate some of your life to service. And it kind of stuck with me. And, and that's all I've done. My entire adult life is service to the community. I'm, I'm happy that it turned out like that. I guess we all have our path that's designed for us. And that was mine.
0: So my father was not in the Marine Corps. My father was in the Army. And my father, similar to you, he loved the regimentation of the military. So what's your favorite memory in
1: being in the Marines? Jeez. Uh, it, it wasn't my favorite at the time, which was Paris Island. There's some real stories about that. Some of them I can tell, some of them I can't. But you know, the days that we were there where you actually had to put together and take apart firearms blindfolded. So in case you were at night and there was no light, you still were able to do what you were able to do. Wow! So that was fascinating and something I'll always remember how to do. I've seen a lot of movies of
0: the Marine Corps, like Full Metal Jacket and things like that. And was was your drill sergeant
1: similar to those characters in some of the movies we've seen? It was an experience. They get you up every morning, like at four o'clock in the morning, and it's not a pleasant experience the way they wake you up. But it's all designed for you to be able to survive in combat, especially back then, because they were training us to go to Vietnam. So at four o'clock in the morning, they got you up out of a dead sound sleep and you had to start functioning and get out there. And then we run three miles and it was a long day and they wanted to get you exhausted. So you knew what it was to be sleep deprived and, and still be able to, to do what you needed to do in combat. Like I said, it It was a good learning experience for me and probably shaped a lot of my thoughts today. The leadership there, and I still do it today, the the leadership there never ate before their men. If it was time to eat, all the men came first, leadership came second. And I still do that today. And before COVID hit, if we had a banquet or something, I made sure that all the people that worked for me ate first and, and I ate last because I learned that your employees are the most valuable thing you have. That is fantastic.
2: Let me ask you, what advice would you give someone young trying to join the military since you
1: have so much experience? Yeah, do it. It's I think it forms a lot of good traits that people need. Leadership, how to be a team player, how to survive, how to take care of yourself, show up with your shirt pressed, your pants pressed, be on time. You know, there's an old saying, if you're not early, you're late. I can tell the difference in people that we hire the people that have been in the military and the people that don't have any structure in their life. They came from living with mom and dad into another environment and they're late to show up and their clothes are disheveled and and they're not used to taking direction and orders and they're a little bit rebellious about that. And I don't care what job you're in, there's always going to be a boss and you're always going to have to follow instructions. So the more you get used to that and the more that you can make yourself presentable and realize that you have to be on time and you have to take orders, I think the better off you are in life. So I, I'm a big proponent of people going into the military. It doesn't have to be a career, but a couple of years of that will make you a much better person, I think, anyhow.
0: Okay, so just to follow up on that, you gave advice on young folks that are looking to go in the military. What advice would you give a young person, either male or female that's looking to go into the law enforcement career?
1: It's a tough environment now. I just had this conversation the other day. We're waiting to see how many applicants we're going to get. Look, in 50 years of doing this job, I've seen this it, it's a it's a roller coaster. I go back into you know times where we had pl- incidents like this, and there was riots in the streets, and it, it wasn't a good time. And then the people realized that the police are there to help you. And then times get good, and then times get bad again. And then you have 9-11 where people depend on us. And then you have stupid bonehead things that happen where you have these incidences that are out there where police are depicted in the worst possible way, and then things get bad again. And it'll come back around where people realize that they need us to keep them safe and they keep their neighborhood safe and, the, and their quality of life. So I'm interested to see how much this affects our applicant pool. I still think it's a good job if you join for the right reasons, which means to serve your community and, and make people's lives better, because that's the real reason. And it, it, we're going to see. But I think that all in all, if we come out of this and we learn how to talk to each other, we learn how to sit down and solve problems. We, we understand that not all the cops are bad. Look, there's 800,000 cops in this nation. Bit of people that have stupid things. And they are stupid. It's bad training. It's going to come back around. People are going to realize we're out there to help them and make your life better. And I'm going to tell you something. I I just read some surveys. The African-American community, they want more police, but they want good police, okay? There's the operative word, good, honest, well-trained. They don't want less. They want more because they realize that neighborhoods are going to be safe if there's more of us there. Look what's happening in New York, Chicago, Baltimore, all these places, the homicide rates up, the shootings are up, the narcotic sales are up. You know why? Police are leaving. They're not getting out of their cars. They're not doing anything because the, the leadership of those cities has turned their back on them. It's not good. And they're learning a hard lesson about it. Again, it all goes back to, we got to learn how to talk with each other, got to learn how to get along, We, meaning the police, got to realize we've made some mistakes. We need to get better. Hopefully, the community will say, let's give you a chance, but here's what we expect, that we know you're not all bad, and move forward. It can be done. But it just, look, this is like being married. You got to learn how to get along. Not right all the time. There's a medium here, and you got to learn how to find a middle ground and, and get along and move forward. Okay, so you've been in law enforcement
0: for 50 years, and you started and you were just a career employee. At what point did you make the transition from being a career employee to leadership and or, and then ultimately, this current position is is an elected office?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: And was that your goal?
1: No, it wasn't. I got into the job because I wanted to serve my community and, and make it better. I started in West Palm, and boy, 50 years ago, it was entirely different than it was now entirely different. And I just started doing my job. And I, I did it the best I could. And I started getting promoted because they realized that I, I, I was in this job for a career for the right reasons. Certainly wasn't for the money because I was making $3.19 an hour when I started. Yeah. As I went along in each position that I moved into, because I gave it 100% and I loved the job and I dedicated myself to it, leadership at that time, they took notice of that. And uh, I, I started getting promoted. It wasn't my goal. In fact, I just was happy to be a detective sergeant and solving cases. But as I moved up in the organization, they kept promoting me up and up because they realized that I had those leadership abilities that I learned to get in the Marines and was able to get people to do things because they wanted to do it, not because they had to do it. And a good leader always gets people to do things because they want to do it for the right reasons, not because they have to do it. I can order people to do things, but it doesn't get done the best unless they want to do it. I worked my way up to be the chief of police, the first person in the history of West Palm Beach to do that. So I I worked there for 33 years. I was the police chief for eight years. And when I was getting ready to retire, uh, the state attorney at the time and a judge came to me and said, look, we need you to run for sheriff because the, the agency is just in total disrepair. It's just got problems. They've had three sheriffs in eight years. It's going going nothing but downhill. And we think that you can do this. And I've never been in elected office before. So I said, I went home, talked to my wife. She said, okay, um, we'll give it a try. (laughs) That was two years before the election. It was probably the worst two years I've ever spent in my life the first election in 2004 was nasty. It was horrible. Um, it was just, I'd never been used to, to that type of treatment. In I life. do remember that. And you can't. Yeah, it was, it, you was, it was bad. It yeah. was bad. Anyhow, I was fortunate enough to get elected. And my training as a police chief taught me how to run organizations and be a leader. So we did some things immediately. And over the last 16 years, we've been able to take a sheriff's office that was an actual train wreck and turned it into one of the most highly respected law enforcement agencies, not only in this state, but the country. I point to the fact that when it came time for the United States Senate to have hearings on how law enforcement agencies need to address mental health issues and active shooters, I was the only person in law enforcement asked to go testify in front of the Senate on how we do things and how we treat mental health and how our mental health unit de-escalates things, how we're able to identify things ahead of time to stop school shootings, to stop mass shootings. It was a real honor. And the people in that hearing room, Lindsey Graham was the chairman and all the people that you see there today that are doing the Senate hearings were there. And all of them to a person said, that's an amazing thing that you started there. And now, after what happened with uh, the Floyd incident, you see all these agencies around the country are trying to start their own mental health units. And they're replicating what we started six years ago. And we get calls all the time from people saying, how'd you do that? What do you do? How do you put it together? Because they realize the value of it and what we've done. And and it's been a tremendous value to us. I'm very proud of where the sheriff's office is today. One of the reasons that I'm running for re-election again is I want to expand that unit. I've got seven teams now. When I say a team, it's a deputy that has a PhD or a master's degree in social science or mental health. And then I hire a mental health professional from the community to be that person's partner. They're actually in uh, work for the sheriff. Oh, wow. and, then, and I have seven of those. And I, I want to go to 14 teams because of the value that it is. I'm the biggest mental health provider out here in the county jail. And that's wrong. That's just fundamentally wrong there's people in there that have done some stupid things, but it's because they had mental health issues and they shouldn't be in there. They should be in mental health facilities. And that's one of the goals you know, of this unit is to keep those people out of there that don't belong there and then de-escalate situations involving people that have mental health issues that before this unit was in, in effect, we had to use deadly force and you don't want to do that. And this unit has de-escalated situations since then that have turned out much different. Um,
2: I'm- glad you're doing that. And I'm glad you, you, you mentioned that. Is there a way? And I don't know if this is possible. But it'd be great if you could even train other departments around the country to just have something like this. It just seems like there's just so much lack of training and even education that I just think it would alleviate all of this tension.
1: Let me tell you, I'm glad. to. Let's transition a little bit over to training. If you go back and look at all these things, starting with the George Floyd thing and going into some of the other things that have happened. I've looked at each one of them. It's bad training. There's no good reason for them to happen. Look, to have your knee on somebody's neck like that, nobody trains for that. There's not one agency in Palm Beach County that trains for that. If you're going to put your knee someplace, you put it in the middle of somebody's back if you have to control them for a minute, because that's a controlling area in your back. You're not controlling anything with somebody's knee on your neck. It doesn't even make remote sense. If you've got to control somebody, get the handcuffs on and put them in the back of a car. At the very least, if they're complaining about something, because we have a policy, if we're arresting somebody and they, and they either are injured or they're complaining of an injury, we call the fire medics right there to us on the scene because we don't want something bad to go wrong there. Yeah. Yes, you're arresting somebody, but you're not there to watch them suffer. So we, we bring the fire medics. It's all a matter of training. It's like the incident you saw with the guy that was walking around the car with a knife and you got this officer with his gun out. It's, that's stupidity. You don't let that happen. So training is good. It's easy to say that, but then how do you prove it? And I'll tell you how you prove it. We train a lot of de-escalation. In other words, when a deputy gets on scene or something, if he can bring that situation down, there's a thing called tactical pause, which we started. And it's used all over the nation now. And what that means is you slow things down, right? Because usually you can go back in situations that have handled really badly. They happen really fast in about a minute and a half or two. And all of these other situations you're looking at, things happen really fast. And then bad things happen. So the the more you slow it down, the more you get things under control, the better off you are because you get resources there. We had, uh, this is about four weeks ago now. We had a call at Walmart at Belvedere 441. The call was a shoplifter. So the deputy goes there. They figure it's a regular shoplifter. He's going to get the guy as he's walking out the door. You know how you look at your slip. Mm -hmm. The the store security goes, that's the, the, the guy that's shoplifting. The guy takes out a really big knife and just takes a fighting stance and challenges the deputy. He says, I'm not going anywhere. So the deputy did the right thing. His training teaches him, slow it down. He talks to the guy and say, look, let's not make this worse. Back up. Take it easy. Nobody needs to get hurt here. In the meantime, we're getting more resources there. So he's taking the tactical pause. So we get resources there. So he starts talking to the guy, takes out his taser, not his gun, and says, look, I don't want to have to use this. but This is not going to be bad. It's just a shoplifting. let's not make it worse. So anyhow, the bottom line is this. We got the resources there. We ended up having to tase him. They take him into custody. He's not hurt. We get the knife. We're not hurt. That's how you do it. And That's great. It. Sure, it is. All right. Now, I'm not saying that it couldn't have gone really bad if the guy all of a sudden charged us, but because of the training that we do, because of the de-escalation matters, because of the non-lethal use of force, it worked out good. So when I say we train and train, it's not just a matter of me saying it. There's the proof of the pudding right there,
0: hundred oh, yeah. percent. Yeah.
1: And I can I can tell you about five or six other cases including people with firearms that that we've de-escalated. But it's easy to say you train, but unless you can prove it by things you actually do, then it's just words, right? But that's, look, training is essential. Whatever you do in real life is what you did in training. That's how it clicks in. Because a lot of times you don't have time to think, you fall back on what your training is. So that's why I say, when you see these stupid things that are being done, it's because it's bad training or lack of training. It doesn't make any sense. Okay,
0: correct, so transition a little bit. So one of the other things that I know your agency is, is well regarded for is Homeland Security. And I know you have a lot of Homeland Security experience. Could you elaborate a little bit on that, Sheriff?
1: Yeah, and, and that's another thing that I try to explain to people that's important about this election is being the chairman of Homeland Security and being the lead agency for all of South Florida I means you go from Martin County to Key West. There's 132 agencies that we actually direct under our umbrella. Wow, uh, That's a big responsibility. In order to get this chairmanship, you first of all, you have to have top secret government clearance, which is not easy to get. The FBI literally goes back to the day you put your little tiny foot on a piece of paper <laughs> as a newborn until today. Everything that's ever transpired in your life. Otherwise, you're not gonna get the ability to know government secrets and have that type of clearance. So number one, it's hard to get that, plus the experience that you have to have and the ability to understand that. A lot of my education, uh, even though I got a master's in, in business administration, uh, the minor part of it was in uh, emergency management. So 10 years ago, the governor appointed me to take this position. It was supposed to be a two-year position. And every year after that, because we've done such a good job, they keep asking us to, to do it. Now, what comes along with that is, because some people will say, geez, you need to be responsible for Palm Beach County, and I am. But what comes along with that is the technology and the ability to have resources and our intelligence gathering. Our fusion center, which is the intelligence gathering uh, part of the homeland security, gathers intelligence for all of South Florida. That means we know everything that's happening across the world, any threat to South Florida. Not to mention, we keep up with white supremacist groups, people that want to come in and cause problems during demonstrations. There's just a lot of information that flows across that. So it's a very important position. If you elect somebody to this job that doesn't have the ability to do that, this job's going away. They'll take it to Miami. It was in Miami for a lot of years. So we'll lose it. And that's a big loss for this county. Because look, our border is the ocean. We don't have a fence. You can't put up a fence. It's not like Mexico. Right. So people are trying to get in here all the time. We stop boats with people trying to sneak in here regularly. And these are not nice people. These are not people that are trying to free oppression, trying to get a better life, bringing their family here. These are bad people. I'm talking gang members that want to get in here because it's easier for them to operate. They can melt into society. They got a lot of chances to get in the other gangs that are here. And they're, they're just genuinely bad people, not to mention the fact the last set of boats that we stopped, everybody on them tested positive for COVID. Mm. Not only are they bad people, they're sick. Oh, boy. So we don't want them getting in here. So it's a big responsibility for Homeland Security here to keep this county safe, keep people out of our uh, county and our neighborhoods that we don't want here, and, and make sure that... We're, we're going to be safe in our own homes, but it's an even bigger job now that we know that the people are coming here. They're coming from countries that are, that are out of control with the sickness, and now they're going to bring some more sickness in here. Yeah. So it, it, It's a big job. We're very good at it, and, and the people know it. That's why every two years when it comes around, they keep asking us to do it, and we're very proud of where we're at and what we do. Okay. We're aware
0: that you're on the ballot in November. Could you tell our listeners why Sheriff Rick Bradshaw
1: should be reelected? If they were listening to what I just said, there's a lot of good reasons in there. Here's the thing, and and I don't talk bad about whoever's running against me. I haven't done that in four elections and I'm not gonna do it now. But I will say this, the person and the persons that have run against me, they're just not qualified, period. 25 years of my 50 years, I have been the leader of two of the largest law enforcement agencies in this county. One is West Palm and now the sheriff's office, right? this is what I do, this is what I have been doing. I have a track record that I am an executive, all right? These other people have been lower level managers. Um, the, the guy that's running against me now, he was gone for 10 years and then came back here and now thinks he knows everything about what's going on here. But they're all lower level managers that have never run an organization. Look, this is a $758 million business. And it's not just law enforcement. You're running jails, you're running the courthouse, you run the airport, you run the uh, waterways, you name it, right? So there's a lot of aspects here. Corrections is a whole new world on its own. So if you don't have some understanding, if you've never been a leader of an organization, how are you going to step into these shoes one day and just say, geez, I think I can do it? This is not a job you learn while you're doing it. The best training I had was being a police executive as a police chief because it was the largest municipal police department. So I have the education, I have the experience, I have the knowledge, and this is not a time. If you look at the editorial boards that have endorsed me, which is the Post and the Central, Sun Sentinel, they've said the same thing. Re-elect Bradshaw because he's the one that has the experience. He's the one that knows the job. He's not saying to somebody, I think I can do this. If you give me a chance, I think I can do it. I'm telling you, I've done it. We've reduced crime 25% in the last four years. A lot of good things on the horizon. I wanted to mention body cameras because we're in the, we're in the process of getting those. We've been wanting them for years, but it's very expensive. So now we're going to get them, and we've, it, we think it's the last piece of technology that's going to be really good for us. So we're in the, in the process of doing that. We've already instituted all the police reforms that they're talking about across the country, the eight can't wait things like banning chokeholds and not shooting at cars and having investigate use of force and good training. We've already done all those. We've been doing them for the last five years. So we're right where we need to be and always expanding. Our community policing is a model for the county. What we've done in our cities, we've taken over 12 cities since I've been the sheriff. And you can talk to the elected officials there, the mayors, they're all supporting me because we've turned their cities around reduce their crime rate, and, and give them a better way of life. Like I said, I, I think if people really vote for somebody that has demonstrated to them that they're a leader, that they're running a great agency, that moving forward, it's going to be even better, and not vote in a partisan manner, look, I know partisanship is out there. And I guess if you're electing like a city commissioner or a senator or something, I get it. But law enforcement is not partisan. For 16 years it's been a nonpartisan agency. And just because the courts changed it, it hasn't changed me. My my decision making is what's best for you and your family to make you safe. That's how I make decisions. Not on based on R's or D's or independence or whatever's the best for you and your family to make it the best way of life. That's how I make decisions. And I will make those decisions the same way going forward. So I would hope people will, when they vote and they look down the ballot, when they get to that position. Forget about whether this is Republican or Democrat. Vote for the person that is the one that you trust to make the best decisions for your family. That's how you choose that position, and nothing else. If I don't leave anybody with anything else today, if that's the way you need to make your decision here. Okay, great. We're, we're gonna shift gears a little bit and just get to know
0: here Bradshaw a little bit more as a person, a little personally. So my first question is, What is your favorite song or songs of all time, and why?
1: I'm like a lot of people. I like music. It it, to me, it's relaxing. Mm -hmm. I watch very little TV. In the car, I have a playlist that I put on, and it goes really across the whole spectrum. I got 60s, 70s, 80s. I got some music that I like today. A couple country western songs, but it just is all as is it soothing. Is it relaxing? Does it give me like a little incentive all the spectrums? And I can't really pick out one song, but it's just that music in general, I think, is good for everybody.
2: It's a mix. Okay, I'm going to switch that question up a little bit. What was the first concert you ever attended?
1: This is going to be way back before either one of you guys were born. (laughs) It was actually the Rolling Stones. Oh, okay. No way. Yeah, yeah. Way back in the early part of the West Palm Beach history, they had uh, the National Guard Armies were great big buildings and they used to have concerts and really uh, nationally known, world-renowned bands would come into the Palm Beach County area and do one-night concerts. And the Rolling Stones came to the, the National Guard Army up in West Palm Beach and I was able to get in there. That's fun.
2: Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it it is. It is.
0: So our friend Leslie Schreiberg wanted me to ask you this question. Oh, Leslie, what a great woman. She's a really good woman, I'm telling yeah. you. And she made this possible, and we, we appreciate that.
1: What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, wow. Are, I thought these <laughs> was going to be easy questions. I may be like a lot of people. I like it, and it's a mixture of peanut butter and chocolate and vanilla ice cream, and it's all mixed together, and it's called Moose Tracks. Oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could get I could get pretty, in, pretty into moose tracks, but it's got the peanut butter, and the chocolate, the vanilla, and all that. So yeah, that's I'm pretty much into that. That is yummy. Yep.
2: <laughs> that does sound delicious. That does. Okay, I'm gonna get uh, a little wild with this one. But who would you say was your celebrity crush when you were younger?
1: That's got to be Vera Fawcett. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, she's. <laughs> Very good.
2: Yeah, she's a looker.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I was really jealous when that $6 million man became a $7 million man when he got her. <laughs> okay.
0: So now, I, now, now knowing that you, which something I never knew that you you're a former basketball player. Yeah. A big, a big debate in our show after watching during the pandemic, that was the documentary about the the Bulls dynasty. Who is the greatest of all time? Michael Jordan or LeBron James?
1: That one's tough. I think that when you get down To, I'm a Michael Jordan guy, Mm -hmm. but I was a Boston Celtics guy with Larry Bird and Bob Cousy and those guys. Michael Jordan is to me still. He could fly through the air. If you saw some of the things that he did, he was he would leave the ground his hang time. But they each, in their own era, have been as good as they could be. The Bulls, I'm not so sure they they got a dynasty, but the Lakers are woo. They're tough. They really are. But yeah, I like Michael Jordan.
0: Celine and I are going to ask you one more question each, and okay. then we're going to finish with the lightning round, which is just very simple. This or that questions, and then we'll get you back to business. And we appreciate all your time. Perfect.
2: Okay. I'll go first.
0: Okay.
2: Because I feel like you can really answer this with your military background. If you were stuck on an Island, what would you bring with you that would be essential? If you can only bring one item though.
1: A knife. Hey, okay. in the military, in the Marines, they give you a thing called a K bar. It's so it's a pretty big knife, but it's, it's serrated down in here and it's sharp on the edge. And the reason I say a knife is number one, you can fish with it, you can hunt with it, you can start a fire with it, you can cut down trees to make a shelter with it, you can protect yourself with it, you can find water with it. Without a knife, you're, you're out of luck. Patton. That's very good. Okay, so my last
0: question is, and then Selena's gonna finish us up with the lightning round. If you could have dinner with three people in history, who would it be?
1: George Patton, Eisenhower, and Abraham Lincoln.
0: And how what would be the topics of conversation at that dinner?
1: Lincoln, I'd like to figure out how he was able to mediate things with as bad as things were, because we could use that today. People learn how to mediate things and get people to come together at the end. With Patton, he was a leader. People would follow him anywhere, anytime. His troops were just 100% behind him because he was a leader. And with Eisenhower, he was able to transition from a military life into a civilian life. And not only was a great general, he was a good president. So each of those have some qualities that's important for leadership because if you can't get your people to follow you because they want to, if you can't figure out how to mediate and you can't transition yourself from being a military into a, a civilian life and learn how to, to, to work in both segments, then you're not going to be on the top of the leadership role. So each one of those people, I'd, I'd love to sit down and talk to them and, and say, how do you do this? Excellent That's Fantastic. Okay, take us home with the lightning round. So I'm going
2: to start with the lightning round. So these are just a few questions, this or that, just to get to know you a little bit better. So first question is beach or mountain
1: uh, beach. Hugs or kisses. Both.
2: <laughs> That's okay. Tacos or burgers. Oh, tacos. New York pizza or Chicago pizza.
1: I like New York pizza. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Last question is shorts or pants?
1: When I'm not
0: working, it's shorts. Oh, okay. okay. So how do all our listeners find you and how do they get, how do they learn about your campaign and your platforms?
1: Yeah, they, they can go onto our website. It's uh, Rick Bradshaw for Sheriff. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff on there that they can learn about. Uh, If they want to help out, they can help out. But they want to learn about where I'm headed, what I'm doing, what my priorities are. We talked about them today, but they'll be on there again. And uh, just learn a little bit about what's going on. The main thing is people, they just got to get out and vote. 20% of the people can't dictate what we do. People after the election, they complain and they bitch and everything. If you don't vote, you got no right to complain. Agreed. I don't, I don't want to hear you if you didn't get out there and vote. And let's make it happen. And let's, make, and let's vote for the right person, for the right reasons, in the right way. That's all you got to do. Three R's. Right person, right way, reasons. Can't go wrong there. I already voted and you got plus one for Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank, thank you very much. So this is going to be interesting. A lot of vote by mail. And uh, I think it's going to be fine here in Palm Beach County. I have great faith in the supervisor of election here. She's a great lady. You're going to see a lot of people out there early voting. and But the weather is good and everything. I still think you're going to see a lot of people on, on uh, election day. I think you're going to see a lot of people. I really do.
2: I think so. I saw the turnout in Atlanta, and it was massive. I yeah. heard it was an eight-hour wait I saw on the news. Um,
0: Yep, well, well we, we, this is very informative, Sheriff Bradshaw, and we'd love to have you on again once you're reelected.
1: Let's make it let's make it for sure, but not real close after that. If I'm fortunate enough to get elected, I'm going to the beach. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so I, much for your service. Okay. That was I, great. I, I had a great time today. We'll do it again. Thank you, Sheriff.
0: Thank you, Thank you for listening to this episode of Attorneys Are Human 2. Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast host. Please also leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to seeing you next. time.